All right. If you don't know, we are in Romans 9. Romans 9. We're doing a walk through Romans. And I told you we're we in the deep waters right now. Near the deep waters of Romans 9. If you, uh, if you need a Bible, uh, if you don't have one, uh, at the welcome table, you can get one right there if you want to follow along. If you don't have one, it's yours. You can have that. All right, Romans 9, we're going to start in verse 14. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, wait a minute. Oh, oh man, all right. Y'all feeling real silent today. Y'all better say something. All right, Romans 9, 14. I'm about to read it. Here it goes. It says, what should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then... He has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he hardens. You will say to me, therefore, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Well, what does form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay? To make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another from dishonor. And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience, objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects that he prepared before for glory? On us, the ones he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people, my people, and she who is unloved, beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. But Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved, since the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. And just as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. All right. So we got some work to do, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I got some work to do. Okay. The Lord got some work to do. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I confess and we believe that every aspect of your word is inspired. Every piece of your word is, is meant for us to understand you. It's meant to equip us to do good. And Lord, we confess even with this scripture, though it might be perplexing and it might be difficult to understand, before we even dig in it, we confess it is good because it comes from you. And so Lord, would you give me the words to speak and would you give us all ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a question for you. Have you ever tried to help someone who did not want your help? How did that go for you? 
It went real good? Yeah. Not good. Okay. I'm like, you need to tell me how to do that. All right. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, we've all been in that situation where we really, we really want to help somebody, but it doesn't really seem like they're, they're like responding. And, and you're kind of left with a decision after a while. After a while, you either, you know, keep helping and look foolish or you go, well, maybe I should just back up a little bit. Now, here's the deal. When you see somebody who's trying to help somebody who doesn't want help, and when they finally decide to let that person do what they want to do, do you blame that person? Do you blame the person who said, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna just let that person continue down that wrong path, I've tried to help. Do you blame that person? No, no, in fact, you would say it's probably wise that you did not continue to help somebody who is consistently uh, saying, no, I don't want your help. If you stop helping, it's the person who didn't want help's fault. If you continue to help, it's because of your own kindness. This tells us something about, about God's wrath and God's mercy. The scriptures tell us that God's wrath is passive. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. God's wrath is letting you have what you want. God's wrath is letting you have exactly what you want. And just like the situation I mentioned, do you look at God and say, well, why did you let them continually you know, run away from you? Now, everybody who's wise was like, well, at some point, you just got to let somebody go. So God's wrath is passive, yet, yet beloved, his mercy is active. When he has mercy on somebody, he has to overcome their own sensibilities. His mercy is persistent and active. Now, before we get digging into this text, we got a saying here, we got to know the context. Context is king. There we go. Context is king. So he's talking about Egypt and Pharaoh. And unless you just saw the, that, you know, that movie with, uh, I guess, Egypt and Pharaoh, you're like, what's going on? Let me just give you a little, let me give you a little background. All right. So way back in the book of Exodus, God's people were in bondage and enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God over and over and over and over again. Will you free us from our slavery? God ends up sending Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And there's this little dance that happens. Moses comes to Pharaoh and he's like, yo, if you don't let the Israelites go, something bad gonna happen. And he's like, all right, my bad. But then he's like, no, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. And then something bad happens. And then Pharaoh goes back to Moses like, oh, my bad, Uh, I'll let him go. But then he changes his mind again. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna let him go. And then something bad happens. This scenario replays itself like 10 times, okay? This is the scenario. Pharaoh refuses. God sends plague and plague and plague. And eventually the story ends with God drowning Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea as his people escape. So keep that in the context as we start talking about Pharaoh. But verse 14, it says, what should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. So he's coming off of the previous passage, which was we talked about last week, was God decided to love uh, Abraham and his descendants, and he decided to let Esau and his descendants have what they wanted to have. And we discussed, hey, man, that actually isn't unfair because God chose Abraham and his descendants, even though they were not qualitatively different from others. In other words, God didn't choose Abraham because he was really, really good. 
God did not choose Abraham because he was smarter. God didn't choose Abraham because he was awesome. No, no, no. Everybody on the face of the earth was equally rejecting God, and God in his mercy decided to do something, and so he chose Abraham to enact a plan for the salvation of all people. So in other words, is God unfair to be kind to people who do not deserve it? That's the question. Is God unfair to be kind to people who do not deserve it? In other words, like, God, why would you try to help a person who dug themselves a hole? Or why would you stop helping a person who was rejecting your help? This is the question. And Paul says, no, no, that's not unfair. And he goes on to explain. God has freedom to show mercy on whomever he wants to. Verse 15, for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Now we got to have a little context again. Context is, there we go. Context is king. So, so he's quoting from the Old Testament. And what just happened in this particular story is Israel, you know, they got free. God delivered them. And then a short time afterwards, when Moses was praying, they decided to make a golden cow. Okay. So they made this golden cow and they started worshiping the golden cow saying, this gold cow delivered us from Egypt. And God is not particularly happy about that because like this just happened. He's like, what are you talking about? I just delivered you. It wasn't no gold cow. Okay. That's not what happened. And so in the next chapter, Moses is praying. And he's like, God, they was just dumb. Can you please have mercy on them? Like, I know you just, you just delivered them, but could you please like not smite them, Lord? And he says, yeah, I'll have mercy on them. This is the, this is the moral story. We see that the Israelites had idolatry exactly like the Egyptians. If you, if you look back at the story, and, you, and the moral of the story is each, each, uh, Israelites were better, then you didn't read it in the context. Pharaoh rejected God because he had his own gods. And then the Israelites who just got delivered rejected God and created gods on their own. So here, li- listen, if it depended on the quality of people for God's favor, then no one would get favor. That's why it said, that's why it said, he says, he says, so then it does not depend on human will or effort. Why? Why? Because time and time and time again, human will and effort does not choose God. And if it was dependent on their, their effort and what they wanted to do, they would walk the other way. And so, beloved, it is good news that it does not depend on our effort. Because I don't know about you. But some days I'm not choosing God. Some days I'm choosing what I want to do. Some days I look at God's commands and I'm like, I don't feel like that today. And beloved, if it was up to me, where would I be? But it does not depend on human will and effort. It depends on the God who shows mercy. Now, beloved, this mercy is not produced by you or me. It's not caused by you or me. It is caused by who? God. It originates within God himself. Our salvation, praise God, does not hinge on us. It hinges on the God who shows mercy. 
And then he goes on to explain that, that Pharaoh is an example, listen to this, is an example of God giving someone over to wrath. Look at verse 17. It says, for the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so the burning, the burning question everybody has when they read that scripture is, well, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did he do that? That don't seem fair, God. Now, listen, context is, okay, we're going, I'm sorry, but you just got to understand it, all right? So, so if you go all the way back to Romans 1, that was last fall. If you go all the way back to Romans 1 and verse 21, listen to this. Listen to this. This is talking about the condition of humanity. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, or reptiles. This is the key. Listen to this. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. What this teaches us is that God's wrath is expressed in him letting people have what they want and experiencing the consequences of what they wanted. You get me? It's not like God was like, let me go smite somebody today. No, no. What's going on is people's like, I want to do this. I want to do this. Let me do the thing I want to do. And God says, okay, go ahead and do the thing. Now you're going to receive the consequences of what that is. And I'm trying to guide you in the right direction. But if you keep rebelling against me, my wrath is saying, okay, well, you just go ahead and do the thing you want to do. Even though if you would listen to me, it would have gone better for you. And so if you go back and read the story of Exodus, you'll see nine times where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then you'll see nine times where it says God hardened his heart. What's going on? Pharaoh hardened his heart. So you know what God did? He said, okay. Okay. Pharaoh said, no, I ain't going to follow you. God said, all right. He said, I ain't going to follow you. Okay. I'm not going to follow you. Okay. Go ahead and get the consequences of that, of that rejection. Listen, the fact of the matter is God was going to get glory with or without Pharaoh's cooperation. Okay? God, God is not, God between Pharaoh, you know, who wins? We got the story. God wins. Okay? Listen, listen, God was going to get the glory. And Pharaoh, because of his hardness of heart, did not cooperate. And God, because of how he operates, because he eventually lets people have what they want, says, okay, you want to reject me, have this rejection. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. We can look at Pharaoh and we could go, man, he's so bad. But we've already established that this is the pattern of everybody. The pattern of humanity is God giving a command and us saying, well, maybe not today. And God saying, all right, well, go ahead and have what you want. Good luck with that. The point of the matter is sometimes God gives people what they deserve, but beloved, sometimes he does not. Now, in this question, people are, are wrestling. Paul in the text is already anticipating that there's going to be some questions, right? In verse 19, he says, 
You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who resists his will? Which is funny because it's everybody. Anyway, verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Well, what is formed? Say to the one who has formed it, why did you make me this way? In other words, the question is, why do you show more mercy sometimes than others? That's the question. God, why do you show mercy more, more times than others? And his response is, you're not the judge. You're not the judge. Okay, okay. Have you ever had somebody try to tell you how to spend your money? Is that awkward? You should have bought that thing. I'm like, this is my money. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do with my money. Listen, mercy don't belong to you, and neither does grace. And you're going to roll up to God and say, let me tell you how to, how, to, how to dish out what you own. Who are you? You don't own that. You don't got mercy and grace. That comes from God. Jesus gives a parable in Matthew 20 that I think is, is pertinent. Now, that's a little lengthy parable, so, so put your listening ears on. Matthew 20, verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. <laughs> After agreeing with the workers on one denarii, that's a sum, a sum of money, he sent them into the vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard. And I'll, I'll give you whatever is right. I'll pay, you, I'll pay you something. So off they went. After noon and then about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing and said to them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they reached, they received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed that they would get more. But they also received one denarius. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to them, friend. I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on one denarii? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as you. Get this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, listen, if God gives us more than we deserve, which is the, 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 the idea of salvation, is did you earn it? No, you didn't. We already knew that before this sermon. All right. So if God gives you more than what you deserve, how are other people going to be like, well, why was you generous to him? It's his. He can do what he wants with what's his. God can be as generous as he wants to be. We go on to say, we, we see in verse 22 that, that, that God saves people from what I'm going to call this ungodly lump. Look, verse 21, it says this, Or has the potter have no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? So let's, let's back up. I'm sorry, we're in the deep water. Let's back up. Now, we remember that, that humanity is a whole. Like, like you, we don't exist just as individuals in an island. But our actions have effects and impact one another. 
That might sound not great to you, but if you want to help people, that principle is helpful, yeah? All right, so our actions have, uh, have ramifications for those around us. And the Bible says that the first man, his name was Adam, and what he decided to do was to sin. And his action of sin has ramifications for everybody who follows him. And what is the ramification? Is that you are born sinner. And so, listen, if humanity is a lump of clay, I want you to understand, it's not an awesome lump of clay. Okay? It's not like, the, it's, it, it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is kind of, this kind of, I don't know, I don't do pottery. All right, whatever bad clay is, that's what it is. Okay? It's not the best clay. But y'all, God has mercy, and he sees that lump of bad clay, and he says, I'm still going to make something from it. I'm still going to show some mercy on that thing. Look, verse 22, it says, and what if God wanting to display his wrath and make his power known endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? All right, let's dig into it. What he's saying is, there's some people in that lump that God allows to follow their sin and get what they deserve. That's what it is. So, so the framework isn't God's like, who am I who am mess up? The framework, everybody messed up. And some people just go get to get what they want. Remember, look at the language. Look at the language in, in verse 22. He endured with much patience. It wasn't he was like, yay. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like listen, if you, if you follow the story of the Old Testament and how much time he would give for people to repent. You know, you read about the destruction of Israel, like that was harsh. I mean, it was like hundreds of years. I'm giving you hundreds of years to make the right choice. So, all right, look, I give you another hundred. You got one more hundred. Come on now. Listen, listen. He is showing patience and enduring with patience, seeking that those who would repent would repent. And here's the other thing we got to understand. Who prepared them for destruction? This is an important key, right? He says, endure with much patience, objects of wrath, prepare for destruction. Who prepared them for destruction? They did. They did. Remember how the principle of wrath works. The principle of wrath is, I want something that God doesn't want. I want to do what I want to do. Then what does God do? Well, all right, well, you can have the thing. Go ahead and have the thing. You got to understand something. Listen, this is God, God's passive rap. It's not like he's just going picking people off. The idea is this. Some people have said, I don't want God. And God says, well, you can have what it is that you want. And then he goes, I'm going to use that. Get this. Get this. And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy? In other words, God's saying, here are some examples Look around you. These are examples of people having what they want when it's not me. Do you see how it goes for them? Does it go well? So you, beloved, don't go down that route. What I love is God shows mercy to others and gets glory. Now listen, the objects of wrath prepared themselves, but what I love, it says, he prepared the objects of mercy. Why, why is that significant? Because, beloved, if it was up to us, we choose what we want. And what we want is not God. But God in his mercy, he comes to us 
And he says, no, 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 you, 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 you going to follow me. I have prepared glory for you. This preparation is done by God. So again, let me reiterate. God's justice and his wrath is deserved. Punishment is earned. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In the sense of you work hard at sin, what you going to get? Death. God, that, that, that is justice. But beloved, justice is deserved, but mercy is given. Mercy does not depend on you. It depends on the giver. Mercy is not something that you earn. It's something that comes from the heart of God. Beloved, beloved, here's the reality. If Christ had not had mercy on us, where would we be? He goes on to quote a bunch of Old Testament. And the fact of the matter says, he says, this is beautiful. It says, even though both the Jews and the Gentiles, for the framework for the, the first century Jew, that was like the major dividing line for people. All right, maybe in America it's black and white or whatever. But, but for his mind, it's, the black, it's, it's Jews and Gentiles. Even though both Jews and Gentiles rejected him, God saves people from both groups. Yeah. Look at verse 25. It says, as it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people, my people. And she who is unloved, beloved. And it will be the place where they are told, you are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. So he's saying, listen, there's people out here that don't know nothing about me. Those are called Gentiles. They didn't grow up in Israel. They don't know nothing about the law. They don't know, they don't know who Moses is, but it don't matter. Even though they rejected me, I'm calling them. And verse 27, but Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of Israelites is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. Since the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. And just as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of our armies had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. The point of the matter is this. Israelites are not better morally because they have the law. In fact, in fact, that their sin in some ways is increased because they're sinning against what they know. But even so, even though they rejected God, God said, no, no, I'm going to leave you offspring. I'm still going to give salvation to you. I'm not going to leave you just, just, just wallowing in your own disobedience, but I'm going to bring salvation. Listen, Romans 3, 9, it says, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. So whatever, whatever kind of slice and dice you want to do with humanity, men and women are sin. Black and white are sin. Well, I don't care how you want to divide it. Everybody, no matter what, what, how you divide humanity. The scripture says Gentiles sin and ignorance of the law. Jews sin against the revealed law. Nevertheless, God will save people from both groups. Now, when I look around our communities, it don't matter how you measure diversity, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's race, whether it's, you know, ethnic, whatever it is. There's a lot of different kinds of people here. All right. We got this one commonality. We all sinners. But we got this other commonality. God going to save some people out of each group. God going to save some people out of each group. That's why we're here. And that's why, that's why we don't grow weary, because God made this promise that he's going to save some people from every single group. Here's the deal. When we look at the cross, we can see that God saved us through the judgment and mercy of the cross. 
you need to understand that the cross is judgment. The Romans used it as a mechanism of public humiliation and public ex- execution. The Romans said, listen, uh, just so everybody know, the person on this cross, he did something wrong. You see him up there? It's because he did something wrong. Beloved, beloved, the one, the one person who didn't do anything wrong ended up on that cross. Why? God judged the only one who did not deserve it so that those who did deserve judgment could have mercy. So that those who disobeyed God could have grace. Beloved, that's you and me. The res- Listen, and I love this. When Jesus resurrected, you know, sometimes when, 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 you, when like somebody comes back, you might think they're out for some vengeance, right? Like, I'm back now. Yeah, I know what y'all did to me. Listen, listen. When, when he came back, he went to go find his dis- disciples. And if you remember something about his disciples, his disciples all like abandoned him. You remember that? It wasn't like they were super awesome. And he went and he assured them, listen, I died for you and I'm giving you peace. Beloved, the resurrection is our assurance that mercy is available to us. So, beloved, we deserved judgment. But Christ was judged in our place. And we didn't earn mercy, but he sure does offer it. Now listen, here, I want you, I want you to, I want to zero in on this one concept. We talked about how God's wrath works, and I want you to understand something. The danger of a seared conscience. Remember that God's wrath is letting people have what they want and the consequences that follow. 1 Timothy 4, 2, it speaks of a seared conscience. Ephesians 4, 19 speaks of a callous mind. There is a situation where you can reject God so much that your conscience doesn't work right. You can reject God so much that your mind is unaffected by his word. So, beloved, maybe some under the sound of my voice that you, may, you don't follow Jesus. And the, the, it could be that you don't feel conviction because a, 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 your conscience has been hardened. We cannot trifle with, with God's word. Beloved, if we are unaffected, it's not a deficiency in the word. It's a deficiency in us. And Christian, we, listen, we are not absolved from this danger. You too can have a seared conscience. When you don't obey God's word over and over and over and over again, you are in danger of God giving you what you want. Beloved, this is, this is true about sin. Those pet sins that we don't want to get, give away. Those sins that we want to keep secret. The sins that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we're doing anyway. Do you want to know one of the reasons that's dangerous? Because God could give you what you want. Look, I can't tell you how many conversations. Me and Kayla were talking about this morning. We done rolled up in people's houses. We, listen, we, we done had conversations. Listen, listen, you are in danger. Your conscience is not being affected like it should be. You, you are listening to God's word, but you are not obeying. If you don't turn, if you don't repent, your conscience will not be work, working. And beloved, I've seen it. I've seen it. People who, listen, y'all know people, people who've been worshiping with us. What happened? The conscience was seared. Listen, the, the, the danger isn't that you fight with sin. The danger is when you stop fighting. When, listen, when sin becomes so familiar with you 
that it doesn't bother you anymore. Listen, fight doesn't bother me, but apathy does. When I see somebody not caring, I get real scared. Why? Because I know what happens when a conscience is seared. And you mess around and find out that you then backslided because you weren't serious about, about lining up your heart with God's word. Beloved, this is true about spiritual discipline. You know, we talk about prayer and we talk about mission a lot. And some of y'all are like, well, I don't feel like praying. I know. Okay. I don't feel like praying. Well, you're going to get what you want. I believe that some, some of us will stand before the Lord and, and we'll be like, Lord, we never had that prayer life that, that you said was cool. And he's like, I gave you what you wanted. I gave you exactly what you wanted. Beloved, beloved, I, look, when we talk about mission, when we talk about serving others, when we talk about evangelism, y'all, I know it's awkward. I know that. We, we in it, I'm with the interns. We do prayer walks. And I, I thought, man, I've been doing this for four years and it's awkward every single time. Listen, I know it's awkward, but here's the deal. If the excuse is, well, I don't want to do it, then God will give you what you want. And you will leave joy on the table. Some of you have a Christian life that is so dull because you have allowed yourself, you have allowed your conscience to be seared. And you wonder, why is there no vibrancy? But God is giving you what you want. And I'm telling you, Listen, you have to fight yourself. If you sense apathy in your heart, you have to fight that or you could be given over to it. Listen, if you if you're like, I don't know how to pray, you better figure it out. You better ask somebody. I remember when I first started coming to church and I saw these old people who could pray and I'm like, let me go talk to them. How you do that? (laughs) I want to know how to do. Listen, ain't nobody ever asked me how to pray. Listen, if you want to do a thing, then you have to have the desire and go pursue the thing. You're like, I don't know how to do evangelism. You better ask somebody. Because if you don't ask somebody, you will be given over to apathy and joy and peace will be left on the table for you. And you'll stand before the Lord and you're like, well, why did not I get that joy? And he'll be like, I gave you what you want. You can see the same thing about doctrine. Beloved, there's some doctrines in the scripture that's real nice. There's some that offend our sensibilities. All right? The doctrines concerning sexuality. The doctrines concerning exclusivity. These doctrines offend our modern sensibilities. And I want you to understand something. You can convince yourself to reject those things. You can, you can, you can argue with yourself. You're like, oh, that don't seem nice. This, that, another. And I'm going to tell you, God will give you what you want. So you have to watch even how you think. Now, when you come to the text, it's not what I want. What do I want to say? No, no. What does it say? Yeah. What does it not? Not what, what, what will make me feel good? No, no, no. What does it say? Lord. Beloved, even if it cuts, it's good. So this, this, this lets us know, listen, we have to be disciplined about self-examination. Okay. This means that you set aside time to be with the Lord, that you have moments in which the noise of this world is cut off. And you say, Lord, here I am. Examine me. Here's the interesting thing. No matter who taught you how to pray, there there was this component of confession. We say the Lord's Prayer. There's that part about, you know, forgive us our sin. The assumption is that you got something, you know, right, right. Disciples like, how you pray? Well, make sure you make make sure you confess your sin. 
I can imagine the disciples like, well, what? I don't know if I have any. You better think about it. You know, like, like hold up now. Like, now, listen, listen, listen. So when we come to the Lord, one of the things that we're praying is, Lord, examine me. Lord, is there an area of my heart that has become hard to your word? Is there, is there a piece of me that has been so disobedient that I'm not even convinced? Sometimes I have to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to want what you want. Lord, I don't, I don't think I want what you want, but I need you to help me to want what you want. Because I don't want to be given over to a callous mind. And beloved, we have to be open to our brothers and sisters bringing correction. We can be deceived, Yes. I need you to tell me if I'm, if I'm tripping. I tell, like, I'm like, John, Caleb, if I'm tripping, you need to tell me because I don't know if I know. And that means you might not know. But if someone comes to you in love and brings a concern, you need not think it's because they dislike you. You need to have the reality. Like, no, no, no. Even I, even I can be deceived. And even I need to be brought correction from God's word. So with all this being said, we are in this constant state of asking God for mercy. Son of God, have mercy on us so that we are not hardened by our own sin and disobedience. But guess what? If you ask for mercy, he will give it. Not because you deserved it. You deserved the other thing. But if you ask for mercy, he will give it. Because he is generous and he is kind and he has sent his son to die for your sins. And he has risen again and he stands in heaven today ready to forgive you and ready to change you. That you would see glory now and you would see glory forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, even when it's hard, even when it cuts. It is is for the sake of the health of your people. Lord, you are like a, like a surgeon. You don't, you don't cut just to cut, Lord. You, you cut to remove things that are unhealthy, things that could, could block us from being the people that you want us to be. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us that, that our, our minds would not be callous, that our hearts would not be hard, and that your grace and mercy and loving kindness would pursue and overtake us. Lord, there are times when you need to overrule what we want because what we want is not what you want. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do that even today. There are things that we are holding on to. Things that we are, we are carrying that don't, that don't honor you. Lord God, would you make it clear? And would you give us a passion and a burden to, to seek you and to pursue you and to not leave any blessings on the table? Lord, because you have given us so much. So, Lord, in your mercy, in your grace, do this in Jesus' name. Amen.